I will try not to do that. <laughs> try not to bang and smash and make noise. <laughs> make noise in other ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is Van Color. We're at the West Coast. <laughs> My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, I'm joined by an award-winning journalist and prominent media personality in Western Canada. She's been a news anchor, a reporter, a consumer advocate, and currently she is a radio talk show host at Global News Radio 980 CKNW. She's been lending her signature voice, relentlessly sharp wit, and colorful personality to the country's broadcast media landscape, since before I was born, I bowed down to her, and you should too. The pride of Hinton, Alberta, and BCIT's broadcast journalism program. She is the host of the Linda Steele Show. She is, who else? Linda Steele. Linda, how are you? I'm great, and remember, respect your elders now. So don't throw me any curveballs. I'm a little tired today, so you're done going to trip me up. Everything coming from this end of the table is pure reverence, Aww. and it is, uh, it's all coming from an authentic place. So if I do trip you up, I apologize, but I oh, think no. it's going to be a fun interview. No, and I'm already looking forward to meeting you, too, because I have heard things about you, and I have seen your organizational skills and some of your creative mind and what you're interested in talking about and I'm interested in finding out more about you. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I'm very humble so to hear spin that. Spin this <laughs> dial, and we'll find out more about you too. Absolutely, yeah. You can always spin it on me. Um, I have to admit, you have my favorite radio voice, oh. tied with Karen Kay. I couldn't pick oh, one or the other. Well, that's lovely. Thank you so much. Because it's funny, you know. I can't do anything about it. My girlfriend pitched <laughs> me once to CBC as saying, she's got a smoky whiskey voice, uh, like she's been smoking cigars and drinking <laughs> like a fine cognac. And it's not a put on. I mean, I just, I sounded like this when I was 10 years old. Is that right? Yeah. And wow, so, you okay. know, there are some people who think, wow, you have such a cool voice. Mm -hmm. And there are other people who say, oh man, you are so annoying. I can't stand to listen no. to you. Oh, sure. And I'm like, well, you know what? There's nothing I can do about it. So it's a fantastic at some point you'll voice. have to get rid of it. Well, thank you. And I, I love the way it. I love the way you described it. I was thinking about how to describe it, and I don't know if I did, but but smoky cognac cigar type voice. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So <laughs> you know what? Honestly, no put on. That's just the way she is, and so away we go. Love yeah. it. And that's not to take away uh, from your substantive career and your award-winning journalism. It's not just a nice voice. <laughs> to be well, clear, thank you so much. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the clock right now to glean as much wisdom from you as possible. Okay. So right off the bat, I have to ask you, have you reached conclusion on this raging debate on whether or not you can use an umbrella <laughs> when it's snowing? Well, you know what? Uh, we talked about this on the air recently because mm -hmm. I thought to myself, when I do use my umbrella, and I'm from Alberta, mm -hmm. so I'm well used to the snowstorms and what have you, but here it's different because the snow is often wet so when you're walking and you're protecting yourself with an umbrella, I have just a moment as I go, Toosh, and I open it that I think, I look a little bit stupid with my umbrella out. <laughs> and then I think, I don't care. Because sure. if you think I'm an idiot for using an umbrella to protect myself in a wet snowstorm, <laughs> then you also lose the moral authority to wear a hat or a hood. So we're even, it is something that protects your quaff and keeps this wet snow off your head. So yes. However, mm -hmm. I will say with there is one sort of you know, 
reason, one way that you should not be using the umbrella, and that is if it is said golf umbrella or patio-sized umbrella, which should never be used on a city street anywhere at any time. Fair enough. And I love how enraged and passionate people get about this debate. (laughs) So just to dispel any detractors moving forward, are you in the pocket of Big Umbrella? Is this why you're making this no, argument? No, absolutely not. And I was thinking, in <laughs> fact, I hate big umbrellas. Really? I just went the other day and I purchased those little tiny umbrellas that have an awesome uh, button that pushes and shoots it right out. It's great. It fits in my purse. They're wonderful, but they're yeah. hard to find. And I've sort of lost the Velcro thing for it. Now it's like <laughs> four times as big in my purse. And I've tried using elastics and think, oh, you cheapskate, go buy another one. And I finally saw them again in the Shoppers Drug Mart. And I bought two and they were 35 bucks each for these little tiny purse-sized things. So when we talk umbrellas, I'm the fan of the umbrella. I'm not (laughs) a fan of big umbrella. And by that, I mean golf umbrellas with big dudes walking down the street, taking up three quarters of the sidewalk. Fair enough. Well, um, I hope that maybe that definitively puts this debate to bed. I don't think it will. I think next year or whenever it snows next, which might be tomorrow, uh, you know, we're going to have the debate again. But, Indeed. But I hope that some people have maybe a little more insight. That's right. I'm it. not in anyone's back pocket. <laughs> Let's talk about your show. It is so interesting to me, the Linda Steele show, because it's almost this interactive space in two separate platforms. I mean, I listen to your segments uh, either on the radio or in podcast form, but I also engage and follow you on Twitter. And what's interesting to me is that even sometimes in real time, the radio platform informs the Twitter platform and vice versa. And Mm -hmm. you'll have these like parallel concurrent debates happening on both platforms between people that are calling into the show and people that are tweeting you or tweeting amongst each other on one of your threads, um, which just it really does fascinate me that amount of interaction. Was this ever like a deliberate strategy for the show? No. And the funny thing was, I was an early adopter of Twitter when I was a television anchor in Edmonton. Oh, is that right? And my boss you was were on not the cutting a fan. Edge. <laughs> he, he, oh, you're going to give away, you know, state secrets. You're going to give away information <laughs> about what we're doing at six. You'll let people know about the scoops. Mm-hmm. And I tried to say, you know what? These are two different audiences. Yeah. Generally speaking, I find the people on Twitter are consuming their information real time on their iPhones, and mm-hmm. they're not going, oh, I've got to sit down in front of the TV at exactly six o'clock and wait to be force fed my daily news content. That's just it. So I was trying to say what we're doing is we're satisfying different audiences Mm -hmm. and probably different age groups. And Twitter has a uniquely, I think, hmm, I don't want to sound uppity here, but I think that people on Twitter are generally um, maybe more middle-aged and a little bit higher educated. Really? Yeah, than say a Facebook or maybe an Instagram or certainly Hmm. like a Snapchat or whatever. I found that people on Twitter, although I do say that I think there's a polarization right now that's making people really edgy, (laughs) but I think generally speaking, people are, you know, willing to engage and ask questions. And I have met people that I have gone for dinner with. Really? On Twitter. Interesting. I have met guests. I have reached out and said, does anybody know? And boom, there's someone there. Could you call in? I'm live on the radio doing a live segment, tweeting out at the same time. Yeah. Does anybody know somebody who's blah? Get in touch. Someone email tweets me back. I could have spent a month looking for that guest. Right. But in that real-time organic moment, 
they connected with me, and I am typing as I'm speaking live to them, <laughs> call this number, can you call in right now? Yeah. And then hitting the mute button and saying to my producer, somebody's calling right now named Jim. And then, boom, the person's on the air, and it is so spot on to what we're actually talking about that Twitter can be the most amazing tool yeah. for journalists, especially in a live format. And that's what I meant by this symbiosis and why I think your show in particular is so interesting because it does run, to these two things run together, your Twitter platform yeah. and your show, right? And it wasn't really meant to be. That wasn't like a, a deliberate thing that I had set out to do, but I think I was comfortable with Twitter mm -hmm. and I've had good experiences with it and I've had bad experiences with like it. Like everyone on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. I think honestly that in the last five years, and maybe this is a reflection of my talk radio career, mm -hmm. that I've seen a lot more negativity and polarization and, and angry, uh, you know, people will, wanting to lash out and deliberately misunderstand. Mm. And I don't think that's the majority. I think they're the loudest voices sometimes, and it sure. can be sad. I can think, really, do we have to be this angry at each other? Can we not have a civil conversation? Sure. Um, because I don't. I have never, I will honestly say, I've never reached out to someone else on social media that I didn't know <laughs> to, you know, cyber slap them and sure. say, you're an idiot and I don't approve of your point of view. Yeah. Because I, you know, I don't always agree with other people, but I don't feel the need to be mean about it. Fair enough. Do, do, and maybe this is a silly question, but do you think people on Twitter are angrier than callers you would have? Because I'm sure you've had angry callers over the the years as well oh every you, day yeah exactly um you know what i think i think that they are thin wedges of the pie you mm -hmm. know and i think to myself that you have to be willing to throw out all the great you know beautiful sentiments sent your way you're the most amazing talk show host you're so great <laughs> i love your voice you're so wonderful you have to kind of Throw those out along with the people who are really on the other fringe who are, you're an idiot, you're stupid, I hate you, you're blah. Sure. Because I know that I'm not that either. So because... I'm getting thrown out with those guys? <laughs> Is that what you're telling me? Well, no, because it's the masses in the middle who are yeah. listening, they're engaged, they don't always agree. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they do, but they don't feel the need to contact you directly. Sure. They're connecting with you as they're driving home or sitting in the kitchen, but they don't feel the need to you know, interact with you real time. Mm -hmm. And so I try not to get disillusioned and dismayed by the nasty vitriol because I think the majority of the people are in the middle. Sure. And so I'm not going to get all caught up and think, I'm just, you know, all that in a bag of chips <laughs> with all the people who really love you, the ones who are like fawning, overly fawning. Mm -hmm. So you have to shave off the edges and go, you know, the truth is somewhere in the middle. However, you can, if you're hearing any sort of repetition or you always say this. Or I remember one time somebody emailed me and said, it makes me crazy because you always say basically. And I thought, <laughs> I do not. What are you talking about? Yes, you do. And it makes me nuts. And I hate it. And I said to Drex when we were co-hosting together, I said, mm -hmm. I don't say basically. And he said, I didn't notice that. And we came back on the air. And the first thing I said was, so basically. And I was like, no, God, oh, yeah. maybe I do. Yeah. But I was unaware of it. And so I do think you have to take, you know, the criticism and sift and see if there's a lesson in there or a message that you can use to improve your performance. But that's a pretty basic 
Basic. Basically, <laughs> I was going to say basic or uh, petty critique, right? Like it, it is. Like but, it's not that big of a deal. But you know, there's one guy. It's a funny story. So on my show on Thursdays on my political panel, mm-hmm. I have Alan Fryer and Sandy Garasino, who mm-hmm. are my commentators, who come on the political panel. And one guy has started to email me, and it's so funny because he and his wife listen to the show all the time. And he said he has a bet, a running bet with his wife, that every time Sandy Garasino says alt-right, <laughs> that if she says it more than a certain number of times, he has to cook or the wife has to cook. Wow, okay. And so That's a good it, game. it was very funny the way he wrote it. He was he wrote it in a very amusing way. He said, So if there's any way that you could provoke Sandy, maybe start talking about Trump or whatever, so that he wouldn't have to make dinner that night. And so that I, sounds like political interference to me, Linda. right? <laughs> and so I forwarded it to Sandy and said, "Okay, this is really hilarious because the guy is, you know, he's being amusing." Yeah. And then she was a little bit offended, saying, "I don't say alt right all the time." Yeah. So maybe we're unaware sometimes. Oh, hundred percent. We all have our own little quirks what we're and... sending out. I I don't want. At the end of the day, I don't self censor myself. Pretty much what you hear is what you get because yeah. I'm live for four hours. I'm not Meryl <laughs> Streep. I can't uh, act my way through four hours of radio. Sure. So sometimes I have a bad day or sometimes I make a mistake and I can't be on top of everything all the time as much as I try to be. So sometimes the criticism is valid and sometimes it's mean spirited. And so depending on the day, I just try to dismiss. Sure. Now, when it comes to people calling into the show, um, are they screened? Because I yes. the last episode I had was with Dr. Caitlin Dunn, and mm-hmm. we talked about some of the callers that called in after your segment with her regarding social egg freezing being covered by MSP. Right. And uh, there was a lot of male callers who were, who were adamantly against it. And then I think there was like a hypnotherapist who right. was pushing Who's hypnosis. Trying and, to get a little plug in. Right, there. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so based on that, we were just curious whether callers do get screened Yes, callers are screened, but don't sort of interpret that as being some nefarious, you know, social experiment to keep certain viewpoints out. Sure. My producer, Sarah, does a tough job mm-hmm. because honestly, she does screen me from some of the worst vitriol. And <laughs> And so, can someone fake it though, or like? Oh like, yeah, we sometimes yeah. someone will tell her, "I want to say this," oh. and they're completely lying, and yeah. they get on the air and they say, "You're an idiot," or whatever, and she'll look at me going, "That's not what." I... We don't screen people out who don't like something I said. We mm-hmm. are trying to find a balance between a caller who might support, you know, a guest point of view, and someone else who doesn't. So we're sure. trying to find balance. We're trying to screen out people who are off topic. Because yeah. that happens often. Of course, yeah. And we're trying to screen out on occasion someone who just strictly wants to call in and be racist or homophobic <laughs> right. or whatever. And they want a platform. It's like, no, I'm yeah. sorry. You don't get a platform to do that on my show. So from that point of view, we screen, mm-hmm. but not because we want to get only people who agree with Linda. That's not how it works. Sure. And, and I do have to say, you are incredibly skilled when it comes to... I don't want to say cutting off the caller, mm. but like sort of ending the conversation with a caller. It's a very tough 
skill and there's people that go on and on and you kind of slide your way in there and then they're they're off the call which is well I'm flattered that you think that I have a skill set at this because it is a learned thing and I feel like I'm still learning but remember you're like an octopus I am tweeting I am looking at phone calls I'm getting emails in I've got a screen that's I'm playing audio sometimes I'm looking at the clock and I know exactly when I have to be out to a commercial break (laughs) I've got three more minutes six people on the line and I'm reading also like a cheat sheet version of what this person wants to talk about. Incredible. So there's some self-selection. So there's a lot of things going on at the same time. And I feel that when we invite people to call in, that I don't want one person unless they have an insane story that mm-hmm. is super compelling. I want people's, you know, to hear, to get the opportunity to weigh in with the conversation sure. versus taking up the entire call segment with three callers. So I will try to, you know, thanks, that's great. All right, okay, let's get in so-and-so and this and that. But occasionally you'll get a caller who will just blow your mind. Right. And uh, we talked a segment of the other day about the assisted dying legislation and whether it mm. should be changed so that you can, you know, not the pre-consent, pre-consent, but the idea that you're not supposed to take medication because you have to be of sound mind when you, within the 12 hours, they're going to inject you or whatever. Oh, okay, yeah. So when people are in desperate pain, they have to either not be having any medication. Ooh. I mean, there's anyway, there's a lot of things that yeah. people think need to be changed about that. So we had a bunch of callers um, who not everyone agreed with that, but one person called in and they just, again, I could have spent the year trying to search out that one story and they found us. And it was someone who had a family member, a loved one going through assisted suicide and what happened to their mm. family. And it was so compelling that I thought the phone board was full, but I'm sorry, I'm not taking anybody else, but sure. this person, because your story is so on point and you are so articulate and it almost bring in tears to your eyes to listen mm-hmm. to the pain and the real story. That was value right there. And I'm hoping everyone else who was waiting on hold who didn't get through thought, oh, yeah, I, I know why she didn't take me. Yeah, Because that enough. call was amazing. It's incredible that in the chaos of all these things that you're doing, you can still have that form to find that moment and and give space to that moment, right? You know what I think is super important? And that's why I like it in studio when a guest will come in studio versus Mm -hmm. phoning in the interview, because it's hard. You don't see the nuances. When you're face-to-face, I can tell you're thinking and you're going to say something versus if you're on the phone and there's a pause. (laughs) I don't know if you're done, if you're not going to say anything. So we as human beings have a tendency to want to fill those empty spaces. Yeah. But if it's an emotional interview and I have a guest in front of me and they're like trusting me Mm -hmm. with their story and I want them to know that I got you. First of all, I'm not going to let someone on the phone board call in and rip you a new one Mm -hmm. because I'm going to protect you. You're my in my space. You're my guest. But at the same time, sometimes just showing through your eye contact and your body language that I am all in on your story. Yeah. I'm not going to get in your way. I'm going to let you tell those stories. And sometimes it's the moments of silence. Mm hmm that are gripping somebody sitting there in the car and they're like, I can't turn the radio off. I'm in the garage now and I'm still in the garage waiting to hear what this person's going to say next. So I think there's some grace in knowing when to just shut up and let that person tell their story in their own way Mm -hmm. as you encourage them, whether it's non-verbally or or just with your presence. And there's been people who were total strangers who walked in 
10 minutes later, they're walking up. I'm standing up to say goodbye to them. And we're actually hugging each other. Wow. I'm saying, like, thank you for doing that. Like, that yeah. was incredible. And to me, I feel so privileged that people will trust you with a really intimate story. Because mm-hmm. there's a power in having to make them feel that their experience was handled respectfully. Absolutely, yeah. And and I think, again, not to toot your horn some more, but I love that authenticity in your show. Like, I understand that obviously you have obligations when it comes to advertisements or, or covering, you know, a wide spectrum of topics, but your show does feel authentic and it does feel like I'm talking to or listening to a real person or uh, listening to a real conversation at times. And Which I think is, that's what's you so... know, and that's awesome to hear that because I often, I can get in my own way sometimes mm. where you're starting off and you're, oh, you know, there's 20 things going on and you bumble your way through something or you made a mistake or whatever. And you can, for a moment, knock yourself off your own game and think, oh, darn it, you know, that wasn't perfect. <laughs> And then I realized that it's the imperfection. Absolutely. It's the, it's not perfect. It's yeah. just, I'm just sitting here talking totally with no script for four hours and I'm doing the best I can and I'm trying to set the table and try to be as knowledgeable and try to listen. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I'm not the expert. I'm a broadcaster. Yeah. So I've brought in guests and experts and they're the experts and I'm trying to not steer you wrong or give wrong information, but... I have to embrace often that what works is when you're not in your head and you're just, you know, I never think, wow, there's like 75,000 people listening right now. <laughs> I never do. Sure. I never did in TV. People would say, how can you sit there and so the red light goes on, you're on TV and there's, you know, 150,000 people. Aren't you freaked out? And I think I never think about that. Yeah. Because when you're really in the pocket, you're just having a conversation with Absolutely. someone else. And that's what resonates. And maybe that's a scary place to be because you sometimes can slip out of the obligation and and the mm. and the weightiness of the fact that you literally are talking to a mass amount of people at this moment and you have to be careful. Mm. But at the same time, if you self-censor it, if you're too in your own head, it sounds like it. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And it's also this idea of, sharing yourself and being vulnerable and allowing others to share themselves like the story you just told me, right? Like that I think resonates way more than just headline news or what's happening in the world in in, in point form, right? It's true. And I think some of the best guests are not the experts. They are the people who have an extraordinary story to tell Mm -hmm. that will share it with you. I had a woman in the studio a couple of months ago who Chris Galis actually set it up for me from Global. He said, this woman has a really cool story, but it would be really hard for us to tell it on TV. So I'm wondering if you would want to tell her story. Interesting. It turned out we said, yeah, that's cool. What it was was a cautionary tale about those DNA kits. So she got one as a gift. And she got it done. And then over Christmas, she got her results. Mm -hmm. And long story short, she was one of five siblings her mother's, her actual father had passed away, and then there was a, a stepfather in the picture who everyone hated, right. who had left the mother and took her for everything and blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out that the woman I was talking to, when she got her results back, it turns out she was not from the original father. Oh. And she thought she was. And I huh. think even the mother thought she was. I'm not really sure. Okay. But it turned out that she was only a half sibling to the other's. And that her real wow. father was the man she hated, who had destroyed her family. 
Yeah. And she wanted to tell that story because so many people are buying these kits and, oh, it's all fun and whatever. And she was saying, you be careful what you wish for because this could blow up your life. Sure. Absolutely. And so she wanted to tell that story and it was super cool. And she was very composed when she came in. And I was, you know, trying to, in the commercial break, let her know that, yeah, I'm on your side and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. she was worried about what I was going to ask her. And I said, I'm not going to ask you anything you don't know. It's just mm -hmm. your story and I'm just encouraging it. Well, she got halfway through and she burst into tears and I stopped, mm -hmm. wanted to make sure she wasn't embarrassed in that moment, mm -hmm. let her pause and have her moment. And it like took 1,001, 1,002. And then she got back on with telling the story wow. and man, the phone calls, boom, the phone board just lit up with people <laughs> saying, I had a similar experience. Oh my God, can can I tell you about mine? And when she left, she was one of those people that we had a, like a good, solid embrace afterwards yeah. as I looked at her. And I thought, I'll never see her again. Amazing. But, oh, my God, that was an incredible interaction with someone who told a super interesting cautionary tale that you think, I don't know if I would want to do one of those kits now that I think about it. Right. But I, I think it also just speaks to you and your show that people would want to come on and, and tell that story. I mean, everyone's coming on on a voluntary basis, obviously. So, yeah, it, you know, they see that that format and your format as something where they even though it is uncomfortable and it can be very emotional, but they feel comfortable enough to say, you know what, I'm going to use I'm going to tell my story here. Yeah, I hope so. You know, I I don't know if every single person who's been on the show left and thought, well, that went great. But <laughs> I certainly have never. There, There's no banana peel with me. I'm not looking to get you in my spider lair so I can, you know, yank the carpet out from underneath right, you. Right, of course. So I hope people who have listened to the show over a period of time know that I'm Linda from Hinton. You know, I'm, I don't think I'm any more special, more intelligent, more talented than you or anyone else. So I'm just me. And thank you for sharing your story. And then mm -hmm. I think it's being able to achieve um, an intimacy with someone in a very short period of time that gives them enough confidence that mm -hmm. they can tell their story without being afraid. Absolutely. You, you obviously have passionate listeners and you get a lot of passionate feedback. I'm just curious, um, do you always find that the most passionate, even if it's um, angry feedback, is always related to politics? Or is there anything that Vancouverites are just really sensitive to when they come out in droves when the topic is broached? Yes, there are several subjects. One of them is climate change. Okay. Now, remember, my audience, talk radio, generally speaking, is more of a male-dominated white guy's yeah. domain. Which is kind of boring. Sure. It's been done. Well, I mean, we're doing these 75th anniversary commercials for CKNW right now, and there have been some iconic, amazing broadcasters that yeah. have worked in that building. But I had to voice a particular promo from, you know, Webster to Rafe Mayer to blah, blah, blah. And I, yeah. and I realized at the end of it that I had just listed off 20 white guys yeah. who were middle-aged not to take anything away no, from them. No, absolutely not. Those are all great broadcasters. They're amazing people. Uh, but at the end of the day, talk radio tends to appeal to a man mm -hmm. who's middle-aged, who's generally speaking, but not always you know, white. And we have tried deliberately on my show to get more diverse. We've tried race panels where we've mm -hmm. had, you know, a guest who's First Nations, Chinese, South Asian, 
you know, Middle Eastern and open phone lines and talked about how people experience mm. racial issues in Vancouver, Metro Vancouver. And the funny thing is, and the phone board would light up with every single, you know, ethnicity you can imagine. So you're right. thinking, okay, they are listening. Yeah. They maybe don't feel, you know, like they want to weigh into some subjects as mm. they're hearing the angry white man voice all the time. <laughs> So they are there, which is good, and we just need to appeal to them and make them feel that they are as equally important a voice as anybody else's. Yeah. But that demographic of the older white male mm -hmm. is insane about Trump and okay. about climate change mm -hmm. and about things like traffic, <laughs> uh, congestion, yeah. taxes, uh, immunization. All, all the sexy stuff, right? Yeah, right? I mean, those are like surefire, burn up the phone lines kind of <laughs> subjects. And unfortunately, on the Trump thing, I mean, I personally don't like him as a person. Sure. And it's hard for me to get beyond his personal horrificness mm -hmm. sometimes to, to look at what he might actually have done that's positive. Yeah. And I have discussed that on the air, but I am also not going to rant and rah, Trump is a total jerk. I mean, I don't do that either. Yeah. But people are poised. You say anything, you say, so Trump, and they're like, Bruh. phones are like, Bruh. and there's 20 people saying, you shut up, you know, and it was like, I haven't even said anything yet. So yeah. he but has his fan ready. base here. They're ready to well, I'm just thinking, him. okay, first of all, he's not your president. Yeah. It's not your country. <laughs> And I'm curious to know why you're so angry, because this really says more about you than what it says about me. I've been pretty open mm -hmm. about the fact that I wish he was kinder, and I think he's too much of a bully and a liar and, and various things. Yeah. Sorry, I'm way off topic Oh, here, no, no. So there are people who he is their idol, yeah. you know, and in, and in any, oh, if you say anything, if you even call him Trump, that's disrespectful because he's President Trump. And I'm just like, OK, whatever. And then they will be the ones who say that idiot Trudeau. And, you know, so they don't yeah. practice what they preach. But Trump is such a weird one to look up to because, you know, he's this spoiled kid who was given, quote unquote, a loan. And, you know, he could have just invested that money in the stock market and done apparently just as well. He's not particularly articulate. He comes off as really dumb in terms of things that I think we should be admiring, like family values or stuff like that. You know, those are way off with him. I don't understand the populist Adulation. appeal that, you know he, what I that think? he receives. This is my theory. I think that the people who get really angry, who mm -hmm. call in, who support him, even when you remember when he was when the children in the de cages and the detention sure. yeah. was when that was really, really front of center news. We had so many people calling mm. in that afternoon who were supporting it. Yeah. And I said, come on, do you have children? Yes. Would How would you feel about your children being taken away from you and put in a cage with hundreds of other kids? You may never see them again. Mm -hmm. I would be fine with that. I said, oh, come on. Yeah. It's just BS. I mean, it's just, it's not true. And I left that day walking home with the cartoon cloud, you know, over my head like a Linus and just thought, God, I just, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. Is this mm -hmm. really the way people think? But um, my theory is that the people who are his biggest supporters who are in our listening area mm -hmm. are much like him. 
and that I think they have over the years been forced to keep their racism and misogyny and what have you under wraps because it just wasn't cool to espouse that in Canada. And he made it cool. He he he's the president of the United States and he gave them, you know, the ability to say, see, yes, I agree with Donald Trump. And so yeah. I think that they felt emboldened and empowered by him. And so any criticism of Trump is really a criticism they read of themselves. Mm-hmm. That's and, why I think they react that way. And I think maybe unlike before, they are armed with arguments from a multitude of of commentators whose media they can consume right away. Yeah. So oftentimes, you know, I'll, I'll see in these Twitter debates from sort of the right-leaning crowd, and I and probably the left-leaning crowd as well, but specifically the right-leaning crowd, they're just reciting things that Jordan Peterson said or that Ben Shapiro said, or you know, it's it's not even an original argument. It's it's oh, because sometimes I do listen to those commentators as well out of interest. Right. And I'll see that oh, there's so many people just parroting the same lines that someone else had said. So now they can be, they can come at you for covering, you know, a Trump thing. Right. But now instead of their own opinion, they're like armed with three or four different commentators to throw at you. But don't, you know, the thing that I, that just makes me crazy is that since Donald Trump has been elected and even before during the election campaign, mm-hmm. he's done and said so many outrageous things yeah. that have stacked up and the lies that have been documented were into the thousands. And I think to myself, it's true that one time he said I could take a gun and go out and whatever he said, you know, yeah. Fifth Avenue and kill somebody and people would still vote for me. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. I think there is enough of a hardcore uh, fan base that still said, I voted for you, and damn it, at Thanksgiving dinner, I supported you, and I am not going to back down now. Mm -hmm. I am entrenched in support to you, and I don't care what you do. Sure. And I just think, really? And it's hard for me sometimes when I'm having a debate with a Trump (laughs) supporter, and they're going, what about this, and what about that, and what about this? And I think, "But, but, like, there's a thousand things that he's done, and I can't even remember them all because... Anything, any other human being would have been taken down by two of them, oh, let yeah. alone 6,000 of them. Obama? If Obama had said or done any Anybody. of those things? Anybody. <laughs> so from that point of view, Trump is a really unique character in a unique time that kind of sure. makes you all feel like we're in la-la land. At one point, I finally, because I could never remember on the spur of the moment, but what about this and this and this and this and this and this? Yeah. I started keeping a list that I kept in my laptop bag and said, okay, if we're going to do a Trump segment, let me get my list out, just so that I could remember, you know, even a handful of the bazillions of outrageous things he's done and said. Sure, yeah. And yet people still think he's an awesome guy. Yeah. So when you watched the Michael Cohen testimony before Congress, you know, you're thinking, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, even if 5% of what he's saying is true and he can back it up, that's got to be impeachment, isn't it? I mean, it's just we're living in crazy times. Absolutely crazy times. And on that note, I want to bring it back to Vancouver, okay. localize it a little bit, because I can talk about Trump all day, and <laughs> yeah. I don't want to. It's a waste of our time. Um, we're in crazy times right now. Oh, yeah. You've been in this industry <clears throat> for a few decades. From your different desks, you've seen the news media evolve firsthand, and- this might be a thesis in itself, but can you describe the change that you've seen in broadcast news from when you started to today? 
Oh, there's so many things that I've witnessed <laughs> firsthand. I mean, first of all, there was an era where there wasn't such a 500-channel universe. So back right. in the day, there was a CBC and a CTV, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And so all of those stations made gobs of money. Yeah. You could, you know, back up a flatbed drug, beep, 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 you know, and <laughs> shovel hundreds of millions of dollars. And even if you put up crap, you know, you'd have an audience. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, journalists had time to research, had time to work on documentaries, could do long-form stuff. And this was without the trappings of the internet and cell phones and whatever. It was kind of old school, typewriters, smoking at your desk and what have you. Um, So I've seen it change so that there was this whole fragmentation in the market from television, radio, and then the digital sort of disruption and what have you. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, what it has done from a business point of view and they are businesses absolutely is they have you know there's been a great drop in revenue and you have shareholders saying well what are you going to do about that well we will go lay off another 20 people in the newsroom until there's three people left you know running around doing seven thousand jobs and then the audience goes well this is crap you're saying, well, yeah, but it's like a race to the bottom. It's like the hmm. law of diminishing returns. If you keep taking away the resources, of course, the product gets more difficult. And now we're in an era where more than ever, you should have the time to analyze research and make sure it's not fake news. Yeah. And you don't, you're not given that time. The pressure is so intense to get another eyeball, you know, more ratings, more clicks. And so I think sometimes it's chicken and egg. So if I saw the other day online, somebody was talking about the number one story that was being clicked on had to do with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper gazing at each other at the Oscars. That was the number one story. And SNC-Lavalin was like number five or whatever. And so you think, well, whose fault is that? Is it we... The audience that's clicking on the look, there's a cat with three heads. And more people are clicking on that than some sort of deep dive into carbon taxes Mm -hmm. and climate change and what have you. I'm not sure who's fueling it, if we're dumbing it down or if people are dumbing it down for us by saying, I'm choosing the goofy content the sensational stuff is more important to me than the investigative. I I, I imagine to be both, right? It's it's, there's not there's not one side that's purely culpable. It has to be. But what is the relationship in a lot of ways? It is, and the sadness is when you. I've done segments, lots of segments about my lament about the demise of mainstream media and Mm -hmm. why we should care about that and how that threatens our democracy. And people don't care that much. And I'm like, really? And they'll phone in and say, oh, yeah, you know, you're just feathering your own, worried about your own nest kind of thing. And I'm like, no, no, you have to understand. He said, I can get it on the Internet. I said, but you don't understand that what you're reading on the Internet was taken from a mainstream media journalist who was paid to put together that story. And then you're consuming it online. Right. If all those journalists are gone then it literally is a bunch of rabbit holes of fake news, yeah. different platforms that if you want to find a particular, if you have a bias and you want to find a story that would agree with it, you can find oh, it these 100%. days. Yeah. And I think the news media is also in an interesting position because more than ever, there's this pressure to report, especially breaking, breaking news right away, right? Yeah. There's that urgency. And then when things... 
uh, when you get a bigger picture on things, people get mad because maybe so you the, you guys said it was twelve people killed yeah, and it's really it wasn't reported with accuracy or something. And now, especially in the United States, I think we have this conversation that's pride wide open, especially after the whole Covington Catholic school thing. Right. And now the whole Jesse Smollett mess. And I'm not mm-hmm. really judging either of those cases, but just because of those where there was a lot of reactions right away. And then we got bigger pieces of the story afterwards. That's true. But, you know, just to the Covington situation, when we talked about it on air, mm-hmm. I'm not accusing you. No, of no, no, I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I have a point here. Sure. I knew when we first talked about it that there were three, at least three versions of the story. Yeah. That there was the black Israelites who were taunting the kids in the MAGA hats. Yeah. That's not cool. And then the kids, then the native elder allegedly sees this going down, mm-hmm. decides to walk that way, drumming and trying to be, you know, diffuse the situation. Then the kids get all ramped up and sort of gather around and, you know, start mocking this guy. And and so I did tell those three points of view. And in my opinion, mm-hmm. and it's just mine, the kids were acting disrespectful to an elder. I would agree. Yeah. They, if they were acting that way to the to the black protesters, mm-hmm. well, I would have had more leeway because they were taunting them and it was inappropriate language. Yeah. But the native guy didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. He was singing and banging his drum and they were jumping around, whooping and doing the tomahawk chop. And the kid who was at the center of it said, oh, I was just trying to defuse it. Well, no, you weren't. I mean, in my opinion, yeah. the look on this kid's face was just pure mockery. Very smug. Yeah, it was. He was enjoying that and thought, look at me, I'm a big man. And now, of course, he, his version of events now is he's suing the Washington Post for a quarter billion dollars or whatever, right? And that was a real line driver, and people were angry. They said, how dare you? And you, I demand that Linda Steele retract and correct her opinion. Interesting. I said, hang on a sec. Huh. Retract my opinion? Yeah. That doesn't work like that. I could retract an inaccuracy, mm-hmm. but my opinion was that those kids were teenagers and so they're stupid. So may- they made a bad decision. But there were adults there who were supposed to be supervising who were doing nothing. Yeah. And first of all, you shouldn't send a bunch of high school kids wearing MAGA hats out into protest land anyway. It on a, just, but there on were, a school trip, who's right. allowing them to wear MAGA hats right. knowing the political climate? I mean, I'm not saying don't wear a MAGA hat or, or wear a MAGA hat, but you know that that is, good, that is inflammatory. Exactly. Right? So you're so, inviting trouble. So why would you allow these kids to wear... There's, there was many of them that were wearing the hat, right? Like that. What That's what really struck me. Plus, there were adult supervisors in the background who just stood there and watched it. And people said to me, you didn't watch the entire hour of video. Sure. I said, no, that's true. I watched a lot of different angles. You have a lot of better things to do than that. So what I'm saying is, really, this whole thing took an hour? Then I'm even more pissed off, sorry. Yeah. You say whatever you want. That, you know, that adults didn't intervene. Yeah. So anyway, people were just really angry about that. And so in this day and age, when we're really super polarized, mm-hmm. opinions can, you know. So, so when we're in an environment where, you know, going viral can have so much consequence and there is that urgency to report the breaking news, but then there's also that importance of reporting it accurately, what do you think is the biggest corporate responsibility for the news media to uphold first and foremost? Well, first of all, is to take a moment, take a breath, and and 
and look at what you're saying and see if you can substantiate it. I just want to say that there's a difference that people don't understand Mm -hmm. between talk radio and the newsroom. Yeah. So the CKNW newsroom, when they can, I can be live on air and all of a sudden see a tweet from NBC that Hillary Clinton's been shot. And I can go live on air. Oh, my God. That was the example you went with? (laughs) Well, sorry. That's okay. But you know what? That is an example. I could say, oh, my God, I'm I'm reading right now on Twitter from NBC, which is a news organization, saying this. I don't know if this is true. Holy man. Yeah. I'm going to be watching this. We'll see if we can find out. I mean, this. I'm just seeing this, and it's shocking news. Mm -hmm. The newsroom would take probably a couple of hours almost before they would run that in the newscast because they are doing a whole checklist of due diligence to find out if it's true Mm -hmm. and substantiating it. And they have a method, a methodology they use before they will put out, you know, uh, they don't say report say or another station said or whatever. They have to get it themselves confirmed before they go with it. Sure. And they're often annoyed that the talk hosts are going, oh, my, I'm reading CTV just said blah, 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 because they can't, they don't have the luxury of going, oh, uh, yes, uh, Terry Shintz in our next newscast, well, our competitor just said that, so now we're going to tell you. Yeah. They have to do their own due diligence to make sure it's right. Sure. So the newsrooms still are slower, but there's a lot of talk. When you CNN or, or Fox a lot of people say they're so biased. It was like, well, what are you watching? Because if you're watching Don Lemon, that's not the news. Right. That's talk. Yeah. And talk is editorial. Mm-hmm. And just like in the paper, if somebody wrote an editorial in the Vancouver Sun, that's not coming from the newsroom. That's an opinion-based thing. And I don't think the audience can tell the difference anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there has to be a greater media literacy taught in school, to be honest. I, I, I think the only way, and not that I'm in media in that sense, because uh, none of my background is in media, but the the only way I learned about, you know, credible sources and this type of thing was through, like, history classes I took. And you learned about sources, primary sources and secondary sources and what makes a source credible and, and all the other things. But I think particularly as the internet continues to grow and we have this issue with fake news and you can post anything you want. And now you can even post very real looking fake images and fake videos and fake sounds and whatever. Um, We do have to, at a younger age, start teaching people about media literacy, what's real and what's not, how to judge things, especially when you get to a high, high school level, just as you learn how to write a a proper argument in an essay or a paragraph, examining documents of text, examining documents on the internet. You know, what what makes something credible and authentic versus something that's And because the cycle is so quick and it's this 24-7 news cycle and people are retweeting and what have you. I've been caught up before where I'm following something live on Twitter from my couch after work going, oh my, oh, look at that. And I got caught once, it was a couple of years ago, and it was something that Don Trump Jr. had said. Sure. And I'm trying to remember what the story was, but anyway, it doesn't matter. And I retweeted it because I thought, what? That's crazy. And then someone said, you know, that's a fake Like a account. parody account, yeah. And I thought, oh my gosh. I went back and looked and it was, so I deleted it. Yeah. But... Even I got tricked. Of course, yeah. And it, it, it happens, right? It's it's not... But but I think there's <coughs> a lot of people that it's not a one-off for them to get tricked. They just will believe anything that's on the internet. 
Well, because we're all now going, you know, you're on this side, I'm on that side. It's mm-hmm. like camps. Yeah. And I've always tried politically, people will send me emails and say, you're a left, this is true, you're a left-wing whore, you're a libtard, you're a conservative bitch, you're a this, that. I'm like, really? That's interesting, because I can't be all those things at once. (laughs) And the truth is that I have voted for every party at one time in my life, provincially or federally, Hmm. based on different reasoning. Sure. So, yeah, I have a political leaning, Mm -hmm. but I don't... I've never been a card-carrying member of any party, and there are things I don't like about all of them and things I do like. Mm -hmm. So if that makes me seem flighty or, you know, uncommitted, it's really just that I think if you have a better idea about something that I've had a long-held belief about something and you... Tell me something I've never even considered. Mm-hmm. You can move me. And there have been subjects that in the course of the last three years, I have changed my opinion to a large degree on. Sure. Because and we're I've to been exposed to other people who have taught me things that I I was just uneducated about that particular mm-hmm. aspect. So I think I'm always like my politics are evolving all the time, just as my opinions on you know, homelessness and this and that and whatever. Mm-hmm. As I'm exposed to more people, I'm more thoughtful and I'm open to changing my mind. Sure. As I hope we all should be. Do you think we're actually getting more tribal? Yes. Okay, do <laughs> I didn't even give you the second option. <laughs> I do. Yeah. And I and I'm sad about that because I think we're all living on this ball together and we need to find our commonalities, mm-hmm. not the things that divide us. Sure. And it's okay for you to believe in something else as long as it's not, you know, killing dogs or children or something. Yeah, like you're allowed anyone. to have yeah. your belief. Mm-hmm. And I will respect that and try to understand where you're coming from. But I think in my show, we try to find ways that we can learn from each other and bring it more to the middle yeah. versus out to the fringes. Sure. Because I don't think it's healthy. I think that the world is really angry right now, and it makes me sad. Yeah. You know, I see the tribalism argument, and I, I'm i not sure. Like, I think we are, for sure, in some areas. But then the other area that I see of where maybe our political culture is moving towards is people who are genuine and authentic, or at least give that impression of being genuine and authentic. And one of the examples I can give right now, at least in Canada, is when you look at our federal leaders across the different parties, and if you don't want to talk about this, it's totally fine, oh, no. but I think for for the most part, they're really uninspired, and they're boring, and they're kind of <laughs> dumb, and I mean, Jagmeet, I think, had a great moment in his victory party, and that was the first time I saw some real fire in mm. that guy. But everyone else is just like so mealy mouth and blah, blah, blah. It's true. But then you get a guy like Brad West, who's just like igniting this fire that continues to grow organically. And then even people like maybe who aren't, you know, as out there as he is. But um, I would say like a Christine Boyle mm-hmm. or a Squamish Nation counselor, Kosilam, right, is another great example of people who just whether you agree with their politics or not, it looks like they they're speaking their truth. It's it's on their it's on their sleeve. And I think there's just a demand for that. And I hate to bring it back to Trump, but I think there's a lot of people that unfortunately 
have fallen for that with him as well. They think that, oh, this is a guy that just, you know, talks off the cuff and he's a real guy. I disagree with that, but I think there a lot of his appeal is that, unfortunately. Oh, for sure. So do you think that maybe when it comes to left or right or, or even parties, we might see less of that and more gravitating towards people who just have that personality of they're a real person? You know, it's funny because when I'm... My response to this goes back to media in a way. Sure. So way back in the beginning of the old days when I started, the people who were the most successful, iconic broadcasters were really not the best looking or even necessarily the smartest. They were the most authentic, original people mm -hmm. who over time the audience came to love and trust and and they just became huge in their own right. Mm -hmm. But as time went on and it became more of a business and kind of almost less of a public service, the news and the, and what have you, the news bosses started to get more leery of hiring. And so they would hire consultants and the consultants would say, oh, everyone's got to look like this. Hmm. Everyone's got to be like that. And then entered the you know, Barbie and Ken era of newscasters <laughs> right. where everybody looked the same. Yeah. And I used to say, we're, if we're all selling widgets, why would you buy mine? You know, the, the, at least has to be green. There has to be something different. Yeah. And so what I mean, and that to tie this back to politics, is that everybody is so fearful of offending or of not getting that vote or not getting that audience member or doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. It would become this sort of vanilla society yeah. of personalities yeah. that don't, like Trump is unique from mm -hmm. the point of a shooting from the hip in a way, being the most unorthodox. And he doesn't care about anyone's feelings, right? So he's going, he's flying in complete Because he's such a that. narcissist, yeah, right? absolutely, yeah. Here, I think it's about, I mean, Trudeau set himself up as being, you know, this transparent, sunny ways, optimistic, youthful, positive leader. Yeah. And a lot of Canadians bought it mm -hmm. and said, you know what? Harper may have done a pretty good job of running the country, but he was, you know, a closed off old. He wasn't fart. a good symbol. Right, and we don't like him, you yeah. know, his stupid old conservative. So we get Trudeau, and, and he runs around being like the poster child of the world, and everybody's in love with him, and how come we can't have him <laughs> as our prime minister? And now through just time, we start to realize that as you pull back the curtain that a lot of the stuff that he accused Harper and every other politician in history of, governments do this fall into the same traps and yeah. say we're not going to do we're not going to bury important legislation in a big omnibus bill, omnibus bill like harper because that's just not transparent mm -hmm. and then they do exactly the same thing yeah. so jugmeet singh i think they thought oh you know in the day here's a guy is a, a guy of color he'd be the first ethnic leader he's flashy rides a motorcycle he's got <laughs> colored turbans he's young and hip and this mm -hmm. is going to be great because he would go head to head against Trudeau except for that I think that Jugmeat was built up to be something that he wasn't necessarily either or he wasn't ready for prime time in terms of he's not a great orator you know, and when you were get him for an interview, he wasn't really prepared sure. and sort of seemed not that inspiring. And maybe someday that will be different. Yeah. But I think they were going for style over substance as an NDP leader at the time, maybe, thinking yeah. that they were going to appeal head to head with Trudeau. It's, it definitely seemed like a fast forward for him. 
right? In, yeah, in terms so of I just feel like projection. that he wasn't ready, just like they said about Trudeau. He's yeah. not quite ready yet. I think Jag, I think Jag it remains got to be seen. Yeah, maybe he for does. Sure. Maybe he is ready. I don't know. I think he's got some fire in him. I almost think they should un, like unleash him in one way, and then their party has to be a little more organized to have him prepared for certain things. Like well, a lot of the stuff has just been disorganization and, and not being prepared. And that's not necessarily all on him because there's a team behind that. Him. That is true. But even during the Burnaby South by-election, he should have been dying to get coverage. I know. Right? We, I think we had him on the show once and yeah. we asked about 10 times. His media people wouldn't even respond, wouldn't get back. Once he was pitching some announcement he had to make about housing and we mm-hmm. were looking to build a relationship with him anyway. Hey, the guy might be, you know, yeah, the next who knows what. And so we tried to get him in, and then it turns out when they finally gave us their big news release, it was a typed paragraph that was uninspiring. It wasn't even formatted properly, and it didn't really say anything. Yeah. And I thought, whoa, this is not really impressive. Yeah. And so I didn't know if he was deliberately avoiding the media because they knew that he wasn't super articulate or comfortable in maybe talk format where there was no editing but I, I just didn't... wish they turned into that. I mean, even if he's if he doesn't come off as perfect, but I think if he speaks authentically, he's he'll do well. And yet, but... Shearer, their people were calling us every two yeah, seconds. Oh, Andrew Shearer would like to be on your show again, yeah. you know. And I said, I'm starting to get uncomfortable <laughs> because does he think I'm like some easy mark? Like uh, here's a big platform, and you just say whatever you want. It did. It felt uncomfortable, and yet I thought, well, look at the guy is scrabbling to try to get some traction. He wants to be the next prime minister. He was asking so often. I said to my producer, no. What does he want to talk about? If he has something to talk about of note, we'll consider it. But if he's just looking for airtime, no. Right. And the last time was he has to come in the studio because I want to meet him because he might be, who knows, he could be the prime minister someday. So Did he come in? Yep. Okay. He came in. Look at uh, you. That's he Smart came in thinking. with yeah, someone like who was taking, sorry, snapping photos everywhere oh, yeah. that showed up on social media. So I knew that he was using me, but I was kind of using him in the moment too because I thought, well, I want to get eyes on this guy because he may be a player who, you know, he might run the country someday. For sure. Yeah. So as it's opposed very... to you just continually get free coverage on my show. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying free as though I'm not going to challenge your point of view, but But building that relationship. Yeah, and, I didn't want people to yeah. think, oh, you know, Andrew Shears like got a standing appointment on the Steel Show. And I was sure. like, no, only if you have something of note to talk about. Whereas Trudeau, I've only had one opportunity okay. to interview him. Yeah, fair enough. Who is your favorite interview in the city in vancouver let's say in the city oh is is it brad west well he's one of them yeah. and only because this is an this is an extremely young person mm-hmm. who is a dad who i was trying to figure out what his politics were is he is he left wing that was my is first question liberal? to him actually really sure. yeah he told me he doesn't necessarily feel at home with any of the parties at the mm-hmm. moment He's super articulate and he will say everything that you would hope somebody would say. Like, this is BS. We got to get to the bottom of it. You know, and you you want, I want Horgan to say that about money laundering. Uh, And this is a young politician who's going for it. And Mm -hmm. I was talking to him today, actually. And I said, well, did you, did you notice that you have a Twitter account, a fake profile, like a fake Brad West? I saw that. A super Brad? Yeah. 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 
And he said, yeah, apparently I've made it now, right? You, you can't really say you're somebody until they're mocking you on Twitter. <laughs> and people will try to tear him down saying, oh, he's empire building and he just wants to build his profile. Yeah. But Brad West said, you know what? Those might be the things that the media will jump on. Here's me speaking out about money laundering or mm -hmm. about, you know, some homelessness or something. But he said the reality is what I'm doing day to day on the ground is I'm dealing with potholes. Yeah. And I'm dealing with painting lines on sidewalks and, and, and crosswalks. And that maybe isn't a sexy thing that you want to talk to me about on the radio, but doesn't mean I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I feel there's room to do all those things. So people hear him and think, oh, God, there's Brad West again yammering on about something. And they think he's got an agenda. Yeah. I mean, he was a city councilor for 10 years yeah. and then won with 88% of the vote. How old was he when he first got elected? He's 23. That's incredible. Right? Right? So he's not a political newbie. Sure. But when you have him on with, a, with guests, sometimes you think to yourself, as soon as they start talking, you're thinking, this is, yes. In your head, you have like a, I call it the clip bell. If you were going to pull a piece of that interview mm -hmm. for the six o'clock news, like, oh, there's your clip. Oh, there's a clip. Yeah. With Brad West, it's like, clip, 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 clip. You know, it's just the entire interview. I'm thinking, I'm just going to get out of your way. Yeah. And when I try to ask him a question and we are stomping on each other, I'm thinking, I got to back off because he's so engaging. Mm -hmm. And what he's saying off the top of his head is just so spot on yeah. that I'm thinking, yeah, you go, Brad West. You know, I'm secretly cheering him on. So you lock him in, lock in him in as the as your favorite interview. I, you know, I wouldn't say favorite because I would have to rack my brains to think of who else might be a favorite. Let's say of all time, then. Like, it doesn't have to be Vancouver. What's your favorite interview of all time? One of my favorite interviews of all time was with Dr. Roberta Bondar, the astronaut. Oh, okay, cool. And I had done a lot of research, and I was, you know, even slightly intimidated. I had a big sit-down one-on-one with her for like a half an hour. And she is so interesting. Yeah. She's also an artist, and she's a photographer, and she's a neurophysicist, and or a whatever, a neuro-something or another. But she's everything, and she was so interesting and mm -hmm. so had such clarity about the world and even her perspectives and her you know retelling of seeing the earth for the first time and just right. i was totally captured by her i thought she was incredibly smart articulate inspirational mm -hmm. um yeah there were there were a lot of people jan arden i oh, okay. loved yeah. jan arden because when you talk about someone who doesn't self-censor, someone who's very real, mm -hmm. that's Jan Arden. Yeah. And I think that's a super big art. And now that she has a new show, I don't even know what it's called, just Jan or Jan something or another on mm -hmm. CTV. And the premise of the show is about a sort of fading older singer whose mother has Alzheimer's. Like, it's very much drawn from her life. Oh, okay. Interesting. But she... I'll bet you she's going to be a massive success because yeah. she doesn't ever feel you in your interaction with her. And I've had the opportunity to, I think, interview her three times. But the last time was a big sit down half hour about her book, Feeding My Mother, about Alzheimer's. Because mm -hmm. my mom died of Alzheimer's, too. So we had this um, connective story. Yeah. And she just is there yeah. talking to you there's no i am a big star and i've walked into the room with my entourage <laughs> and i'm special i mean she just is super legit mm -hmm. and and gritty and real 
and doesn't have to be perfect and self-deprecating, but super smart and thoughtful. So it goes back to that idea of being authentic, being genuine. Yeah. That's what resonates with people. Well, plus, I mean, she's had such a, a career yeah. in so many ways. And I feel, damn you, she's a great writer. She's an incredible musician, a songwriter. She's an actress actor i'm she's just she's everything she puts and I out think some that's, great tweets too right like on top of it that's not fair <laughs> that you're so good at everything at once you know how about uh disaster interviews did you ever have an interview that just oh, like yeah. blew up in your face well and it was one of my very first interviews too because i was 19 and i was sent out i was sent to hollywood oh because the entertainment reporter at the station was it having a hissy fit and didn't want to go so they said we'll show you we'll send the the intern kind of slash bcit i was still a bcit student but i was working at the station at the same time yeah we'll send her to hollywood to do this um interview the stars from 2010 the space odyssey i think okay. it was the second one so I was like, oh, really? Oh, my God, this is really exciting, and I'm terrified, and how do I prepare? Made the mistake of asking the entertainment reporter, who, of course, wanted me to fall on my face because she was mad. But I got there, and I had an opportunity to sit down and talk to um, to the author of the book. Okay. And Arthur C. Clarke came in the room, and I was waiting, and... You know, it's like a big rotating, you know, cast of next to next. And he was saying, I don't want to do anymore. I'm sick of this. I'm done. And he was taking his mic and threw it off and said, I'm leaving. And they When were you saying, sat down or before you sat down? As I was coming in. As you were coming in. Okay. To be the next person. He didn't want to do anymore. I'm bored. I'm done. The media is stupid. I want to go. Yeah. And they were saying, please, sir, just one more, just one more. And I was saying, oh, it's okay. You know, I can, I'll come back after coffee. Like, I didn't want to be that last person jammed down his throat. So he very grudgingly agreed to do one more interview with me. And I made the, I just pissed him off. And so I said to him, so with the black monolith. You know, everybody has an idea about what it was supposed to mean. You wrote it. Mm -hmm. What did you, what did you uh, mean by it? What was it? What was it really supposed to mean? And right. he looked at me and he said, "Read the goddamn book." Yeah. And I'm like 19 years old, and I am like just dying inside. And the cameraman looked at me just sort of with that silent. It's okay, kid, you know. Yeah. And anyway, it was like a miserable, horrific interview. At one point, he said to me, are you serious? So stupid. And then finally, he was like, I'm done. He just threw wow. his mic off and he left. And I still had to do another interview. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm just, I'm going to get fired. I'm terrible. I have to bring this tape back Yeah. of him saying all this stuff like you're stupid on, on tape back to the station. So I went for my last interview and I walked in and the actor was an actor named Bob Balaban, who is one of those sort of character actors who actually, if you Google him, is super famous. Okay. But most people don't know who he is. Sure. And he was also in the movie, and I kind of slunk in with my tail between my legs. And he was up getting a coffee. Said He said, do you mind if I just pour myself a coffee? And I'm like, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I think maybe somebody had told him or he could just tell that I was sort of defeated. Yeah. So we sat down, and he said, oh, I'm not in a hurry. Let's just sit here. And he was so kind to me. Because he wow. knew I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And he was gentle and kind and respectful. And I've never forgotten. I can remember his face. And he made up for all the, you know, tragic circumstances of my earlier interviews. Wow. And I thought, you know what? Here's a guy who 
is somebody in Hollywood who doesn't need to throw me a bone. Yeah. Who was just being a human being who could tell that I was a scared kid who didn't know what I was doing yeah. and was going to just be gentle with me. And he didn't have to do that. No, I love that story. Yeah. Have you ever been able to speak to him afterwards? No, but if I if I could, yeah. I would definitely tell him that story. Yeah, you should. Oh, and one other person that I also loved mm-hmm. for similar reasons was Ron McLean. Okay. From Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah. So we're like a big hockey fan, and Ron McLean is iconic. And, yeah. And oftentimes, when you interview someone who you know and revere. You have an expectation, geez, I hope they're as nice as I think they are. Sure. And sometimes they're not. And I think it's just because, you know, you get too famous and you get used to having people feed you grapes and fan you with feathers and what have you, and you sort of become too big for your pants. So Ron McLean came in, he had a book out, and I was like very excited to meet him. And he was just the most lovely person. Really? And he knew, because my girlfriend was coming to go for a drink with me after work, so she was in the green room, and he was there. So she was chatting him up, and I don't know how it came up, but my mom had just died. Oh. And his, I think he had an experience in his family, and so he knew that through her. So he came in, and we had a conversation where he brought it up, and he talked about it. And it was just, again, he was exactly the classy Real, honest, intelligent, kind, warm, intuitive human being that I would, he was that and more than anything I could have ever hoped he would be. Yeah. So he's again someone who I think, yeah, you know, because people have an impact on other people. 100%. Right? Yeah. And most times someone could be a jerk and walk out and you think to yourself, you tell your husband, God, so-and-so is such an ass, you know? And it doesn't take a lot to be kind. Right. right? It t- I think it takes more to go out of your way to be mean to someone or, um, yeah. you know, brush them off. or But it doesn't take a ton to, to brighten up someone's day or to, to, to do that. I mean... Plus, when you're when I was a TV anchor in Edmonton, and I'd been doing the 6 o'clock for like 16, 17 years, so mm-hmm. it was a small city, and you're at the grocery store, and everyone's, oh, hey, well, you know. So you got used to knowing that you never had the luxury of having a bad day in public. Sure. You couldn't be tired. You couldn't be cranky. You just couldn't be. Yeah. Because this was your probably one-off interaction with someone who watched the show and, you know, supported you. Exactly, so, yeah. You'd really try to have a really pleasant, intimate little conversation with each person. And I thought to myself, the truth is, the better story is, she was a real bitch. And I, you know, and then they tell 10 people who tell 10 people, and it just cascades out. So thousands of people love to tell the story of so and so ran into so and so at Safeway, and there was such a bitch, and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Um, But it also works the other way. I mean, you can have a really pleasant interaction, and then they tell 10 people who tell 10. I mean, as long as you're not being phony, Mm -hmm. sometimes you didn't maybe feel like having the conversation, but. Uh, very short story. Again, at Safeway, I'm standing there, and I felt stupid because the divider between your groceries had my face on it because <laughs> it oh, was that's a- advertising for the station. I was like, oh, God, so stupid. Put your own face down. And the person behind me said, uh, <laughs> oh, that's weird, eh? And I said, oh, you know, felt silly. And yeah. we ended up having a quick conversation. I don't even know how we got there. It, it took, like, in five minutes, it turned out that they had someone who had died of complications from AIDS, recently and we had this incredibly intense and intimate conversation in the span of five minutes 
that when it was over, it was like, oh, take care and you and this and that, whatever. Yeah. And I realized that the sort of the benefit of being someone who was well known was that the shorthand was there. They felt like they knew you. There was no weirdness. It was like, you're in my living room every night for 17 years. I feel like I know you, so I don't need to go through the pretense of you're a stranger and right. we have to have boundaries. I feel like you're someone who sit and have dinner with me every night. So sure, they can yeah. go from zero to 60 with you and you just go with them because you kind of get used to it after a while. But again, but I that's think, that's a privilege. Absolutely. But I think that's also testament to you. And, and it goes back to you being authentic on the show, being kind in person or, you know, at least having that warm spirit where someone would open up within a few minutes. I mean, you could have easily brushed them off with a cold shoulder and, you know. Yeah. And maybe because I've always felt or that and I've even think I've been told that I have resting bitch face when <laughs> I'm really not bitchy at all. Sure. But when I'm thinking about something, I can look intense. Yeah. Or people think I'm intense and I can be very intense, not in a mean way, but I am a oh, very, a good way. very yeah. type A. I'm doing 5,000 things at the same time. So, yes, I can be intense, but I'm also very much just but you're at the grocery store versus work right you might be super intense at work but just standing there in line at the grocery right. store right but maybe if you weren't on TV and people got a chance to get to know your personality sort right. of over the years maybe they would think oh she looks intense or she sure. looks you know I'm not gonna say hi to her kind of thing sure so, on the topic of your personality I heard that you got into broadcasting after taking an aptitude <laughs> test. Is yes, that right? It's true. Um, and the short story is that I was moving to Vancouver to help my parents move back to Edmonton. Mm -hmm. And while I got here, I ended up loving the city, met some people and ended up staying and they moved back to Edmonton. So mm -hmm. I was working for a small company that went out of business shortly thereafter. And now I was like, what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. I was in banking. I was the head teller of the Hinton Toronto Dominion Killing when I was it. 17 years old. Wow! Only me, Amazing. And, only me, and the bank manager had the, you know, the combination to the vault, right? Which is ridiculous. I'm 17 years old. They were like, "Can you go up to the <laughs> bank on the hill and buy two hundred thousand dollars worth of twenties because it's a mill payday?" Yeah. And I would drive in my old Dodge Cornette by myself and count two hundred thousand dollars and put it in a bag and drive it in my car back to the bank. And it was just. And I am so terrible at math. I mean, this was a terrible <laughs> job for me. So I did not enjoy that. So I thought, what am I going to do? And my dad said, you know, the BC Apprenticeship Board is doing this thing for people who are laid off mm -hmm. or in between jobs where they will uh, put you through this, apprentice, um, this aptitude testing at their expense. Mm -hmm. And it was three days, eight hours a day. Whoa, that's intense. It was the most intense thing. You had interviews. You had to do all the kinds of, you know, blink blot tests and written aptitude and what have you and at the end of it they would crunch this whole thing and they would give you five career options that they quote unquote guaranteed success in. wow interesting and my number one was broadcast journalism there you go and i didn't even really know what that was <laughs> i said okay i'm from hinton you know i grew up in a high school where you could work in a bank you could get pregnant or you could be a teacher you know and that was it it was like really i didn't have the concept of being a broadcast journalist was never a reality yeah i feel like they probably just heard your voice and were like you know what is. and i asked Easy. them why why would this be you know and the things that i can remember now cuz this was a very long time ago mm -hmm. were things that i had good communication skills was a great writer I was a good storyteller. I was a good communicator in general. Mm -hmm. I also didn't like 
routine. I didn't like doing the same thing. Sure. And I didn't necessarily like having a boss saying, do this, do this, do this. I liked autonomy. And and it just made sense. So I thought, well, I'll go check out BCIT. Yeah. And anyway, then the rest is history. But the very first class of BCIT, and I don't even remember what it was, I had the epiphany, the lightning bolt. This is exactly what I was meant to do. Amazing. And it was right. And it's still doing it. What would What advice would you give to that Linda Steele taking her first class at BCIT, or perhaps someone who wants to go into broadcast media, broadcast journalism, but they're scared that the industry is changing in a way, as you had sort of alluded to, that you know there's no money in it anymore, or the there's not there's no jobs in there anymore. What what sort of advice would you give to that person? Well, there are jobs, and the industry is being disrupted in a way like. I've never seen. Mm -hmm. And my theory is that within the next 10 years, there won't be a six o'clock news because it will be news services streaming on demand to your iPhone. Mm. And there will still be a need for journalists and storytellers and people to capture video and edit and produce. So there will be jobs, but they are not going to look like the jobs of today. Interesting. And when I had a million students come and job shadow me when I was a TV anchor in particular, The kids were very excited about the idea of being on TV. Mm -hmm. So I would say, what really appeals to you the most about this job? Oh, you know, I don't want to be on TV. (laughs) You know, my mom thinks I'd look good on TV. And I would say, what about writing? What about storytelling? What about going out on stories on assignments? What about this? What about that? And they were like, "Mm, yeah, no, no, not really. I just, you know, kind of just want to be on TV and want to be able to get a good restaurant table. I'd say, you know what? You should really think about going into acting or ad the ad world or like being a voiceover actor or something because news is a big it's a profession journalism is a job and a passion and Mm -hmm. it's a front row seat to history and there's going to be some gritty ugly stuff you got to do and places you have to go that'll be life-altering but uncomfortable sure and then there's a lot of wonderful things and there are perks with being in the media and having a platform and there's some power inherently that goes along with that but you have to take it as a package. It is, it is so much more than being on TV or being on the radio. It's that is the least of it. Yeah, that is the the that's the last thing you're doing in the day. Mm-hmm. In- incredible words of wisdom. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I want people to really have a fulsome understanding of what they're getting into and what they want to get out of it. Sure. And I don't want them to be. And the other thing is, you have to be willing to get out of school and go wherever the jobs are Mm -hmm. and go to a smaller market and work there for a year and then work your way back in. Too many kids say, I don't want to leave Vancouver. And I was like, well, then great. You're going to end up being a script writer in the most lowly job in the newsroom for the rest of your career. You're never Hmm. going to get on air. That doesn't work like that. Well, I'll just stay working the newsroom until I get on air. They never take... The the person who hands out the scripts, they never become the anchor. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. You've got to go out and come back. And I swear to God, those first jobs will be the ones that have relationships that sustain you. I just had lunch with Ross McLaughlin from CTV, who took my job as a consumer investigator. Okay, right, yeah. We worked together in 1986 at ITV in Edmonton, and we have been friends, solid friends since then. That's so crazy. I mean, some of the most, you know, tightly held relationships I have in my life came from those earliest days of broadcasting when you're just kids figuring it out and everything is impactful. So go and don't be afraid. 
It's cool. It's an awesome job. Great advice. I love that. Um, I want some more advice. So we do have to wrap up. Um, and here it is. I, I read that you also don't eat your vegetables. You're not oh. big into vegetables. <laughs> and I don't get it because your skin, your hair, your jovial spirit. How can it function without vegetables? Like I'm eating bags of kale just to keep okay. it together. Kale? Man. No. <laughs> kale should not be eaten by anyone other than like a cow or something. But I, it's it's lettuce that I don't like. Oh, it's the lettuce. I'm okay. not a fan of the lettuce for some reason. Okay. But I bring to work, because I am also a terrible cook, mm-hmm. my lunch consists of, I just discovered daikon radish. I was like, oh, I love this. Okay. We're at this, you know, uh, tasty restaurant or whatever. I was like, what is that vegetable? Yeah. And so I just bring cut vegetables okay. for my lunch. There you go. So there you go. I do so eat, do vegetables. eat vegetables. I don't really like them, but I know they're good for me. <laughs> do you have any other secrets for uh, for health and happiness? Friendships. Nurture your friendships. Spend time on your relationships because at the end of the day, nobody's going to care that you were on the radio or that you were at TV Anchor. You want your friends and your husband and your parents and your brother and his wife. And you got to nurture those relationships mm-hmm. as hard, harder than you put the effort into the career. Wow. Because they're the things that will sustain you for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's the secret. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live by that. I like that. I feel like you should be my co-host. <laughs> Seriously. I I'll take that I have job. really enjoyed this. <laughs> and I think you're really, really good. You are very you kind. Thank you so much. Um, before I let you go, I've heard you're a big lover of potato chips as yes, well. Yes, this is true. <laughs> so Sadly, I got something this is true. for you. What? Oh, a man after my own heart. Come on. Seriously? Hard bite. Oh. Canada's own. That, okay. I've never even heard of these flavors. Oh, you will love Honey them. Honey Dijon and sweet ghost pepper. They're made in avocado oil. So super healthy, probably. Um, <laughs> potato chips, yeah. They're potatoes. That's a vegetable. That's healthy, right? Right, yeah. Yes. So healthy. See? No calories in this at all. And right on the bag, it says nothing artificial. There you go. Thank Just you very like much. this conversation. Exactly. Um, if people want to keep in touch with you, uh, where do they go? Well, Online first stuff. of all, Twitter at Steel Talk. I'm also on Facebook. I don't even know how you find me, but you can just go there. And I literally have my email open, Linda, with a Y, at cknw.com. If you have story ideas, if you want a comment, I'm an open book, so welcome in. There you go. Well, I've been honored and humbled that you would grace me with your presence. Thank you so much for being here. Well, I'm honored that you would even be interested in having me oh, in. Of course. So <laughs> I quite enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for the chips, too. Likewise. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, she will keep you up to speed on all the news from 2 to 6 p.m. on Global News Radio, 980 a.m. She is, in one word, amazing. She is Linda Steele. And I'm Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace.